Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Bono and Eisen. Coming up on Fast, beyond the banks, we are gearing up for a huge week of earnings. We'll lay out the key names that need to be on your radar. Plus, the race to $2 trillion. The chartmaster is breaking down the big battle brewing among the tech titans. And later in a bonus hour of Fast Money, we're taking your questions. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money, and we will tackle them on air. But we start off with the ultimate bet on the reopening trade. Disney World in Orlando is set to welcome guests back starting tomorrow. But this comes as a number of daily coronavirus cases soars above 11,000 again. And a quarantine remains in effect in the tri-state area for anyone traveling from the Sunshine State. Let's get straight to Julia Borson with Disney's big bet on a big return. Julia. Well, it is a big bet, but Disney is starting off slow, opening the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom, two of its five Orlando parks with limited capacity. But this is a very big deal for Disney to start the phased reopening of Disney World after closing both of its domestic parks on March 14th. Now, yesterday, it started reopening Downtown Disney. That's the outdoor mall by its Anaheim Park. Of course, it mandated masks and social distancing there. Now, this is an important important moment for Disney's Parks and Resorts division, which last year was Disney's largest by revenue, generating about 35% of revenue in calendar 2019. Analyst Michael Nathanson estimates Disney lost more than a billion dollars between April and June at those domestic parks because of those closures. Now, the opening of Disney World will be a key test of what consumer demand for the parks could look like, especially because Disney's Orlando Park sees more traffic from out-of-state visitors than the California parks, which are smaller. Disney CEO Bob Chapek on the company's last earnings call said, quote, obviously the Anaheim Park has much more of a drive-in market and a lot less guests that stay overnight, where Orlando has a big predominance of families that actually fly in to go there. And this all comes as Disney shares are at a crossroads. They're trading in the middle of the company's 52-week high and its 52-week low, down about 17% over the last year. Now, another key landmark will come for Disney when Disneyland opens. But Melissa, there's no word yet on when that will be. That will depend on California's governor and the call he makes there. Back over to you. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson. So let's trade Disney here, which, of course, got a big bump in its valuation last year on the news of Disney Plus. And then the numbers that we got, Tim Seymour with a haircut. What do you say? As I promised. Um, Well, so if you think about 54 million downloads uh, or subscribers already to Disney Plus, uh, I I would say that that multiple is justified. And boy, look what's been going on with Netflix. And we can compare and contrast what Disney should get in terms of a blended multiple there. Uh, The the release of Hamilton over, I guess, 10 days ago has been extraordinary. 750,000 downloads the first weekend. So, um, look, opening parks is very important for Disney uh, holistically for the entire company. And and in terms of uh, the free cash flow or the burn, uh, very, very important. 38% of the company's revenue stream comes from uh, parks and consumer experiences. But uh, again, the things that you should be excited about are the DTC business, of which is seven times you know, revenue multiple ultimately is where I think the street, when they're doing the parts, puts in for that. And that Disney Plus multiple, uh, based upon what we're seeing in streaming uh, and the haves and the have-nots of, of COVID-19, Disney should get a boost there. So uh, I think you're an owner of Disney. I think eventually health of the uh, of society um, is going to be certainly pre-staged by health of Disney. And I think we're slowly seeing that. Uh, at what point, though, I mean, Bono, and 
the, the Disney Plus added to the valuation. Now, I would assume the closures of the park and, and maybe the stutter steps in reopening the parks should take away from the valuation. So where are we in that sort of push-pull, do you think? You know, I'm glad you asked. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the verticals that Tim mentioned before in terms of uh, Disney Plus, direct-to-consumer, uh, things of that nature, all, you know, diversify revenue streams and make, and make them for a much more robust and healthy company. Uh, quite frankly, you know, in terms of the park reopening, I think there's real risk here, and, and you really pointed that out. Um, you know, if you think about just the mechanics of how one would go about visiting the actual uh, theme park, out-of-state travelers would likely be going to uh, an airport, getting on a plane, then deplaning at another airport, then going to a rental car um, uh, for a pickup, and then hopping on machinery that we still don't know what the proper protocols are going to be in terms of how they're going to maintain a certain level of cleanliness. Um, and the last thing I'll say is, like, the, the last headline that Disney wants, given that they do have all these other, uh, you know, wonderful businesses, and, and just in terms of the goodwill that they have on their balance sheet, the last thing that you want, being that you're in Florida, and you have the NBA, and I believe if the MLS, and a few other uh, um, leagues that have had outbreaks of the coronavirus, what you don't want is a headline of Disney propagating the spread of the virus to children. Yeah. Guy, I don't know. I know you're an avid fan of Mr. Toad and, and the Hall of Presidents, um, but are you willing to risk it at this point even to go back to your beloved rides? You did. That is the rhetorical question of all time. I'm so, I'm so with Bonowin on this one. I don't understand. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't run uh, Walt Disney, obviously, but I don't understand the need to rush back, given what's going on in the state of Florida, given the outbreaks we're seeing nationwide, and given the fact that it's probably going to be anywhere from 90 to 100 degrees down there. Now, I understand, and Rich Greenfield totally trolled Disney on Twitter today, which was just a sight to behold, but they have these mask-free relaxation zones at the park, which in and of themselves are creepy. I just don't understand how this is a good idea. I hope it goes well, obviously. I just don't see how it can. On top of that... Disney now trades at 38 times next year's earnings. Mm -hmm. I'll say this. The best thing that's happened to Disney in the last month, month and a half, is the fact that Netflix has gone from 415 to 549, where it closed today, up some 32% since they reported their earnings. I think, to be honest with you, I think that's what's really helped Disney, the stock, quite a bit. Dan? Yeah, you know, these guys bring up a lot of great points. I think Bonwin is correct to point out all the protocols that need to happen. I think it's really important to remember that it was really the private sector that led um, back in March uh, with shutdowns and, and, and really kind of put these um, lockdowns of their business in place. When they think about all the stakeholders, their employees, their customers, their shareholders, you know, there was a, a pretty well thought out process. So it's going to take a little time to get this stuff back up and running. And I understand the headline risk. But when you have a business like Disney, where your media networks have been hit, your studios have been hit, your parks have been hit, you know, Tim highlights, obviously, the DTC and, and, the, and the brand stuff around that. But but until things start to get up and running and still you until you start learning about how this is going to go, I think, Mel, you used the term spotty when we started this conversation. It's going to be spotty. And, you know, we're waiting on Disneyland Paris. There's there's obviously out in L.A. So I, I think that they got to get moving here. They got to figure out what's going to work going forward, how to keep everybody 
safe. So, um, you know, I don't think the headline risk is going to be that bad if they say, hey, listen, we're going to take it easy here. We're going to close down. Florida's red hot right now. So, you know, I, I mean, to me, I think it makes sense. I think we need to start to see some visibility in how this might work and how you value a company that's working at different levels of capacity in their parks group. Tim, what do you say to these bears? I mean, you're in a bear cave right now when it comes to Disney. Yeah. And, then, and then also, you know, the streaming business is fantastic, but that streaming business is not going to make Disney money for a while. I mean, Disney is going to be spending money on content, on new content, to, to perpetuate the streaming oh. business. Yep, great point. Uh, although, uh, if you read J.P. Morgan's note recently, they, they think that they get to profitability by 2023. I realize that's not tomorrow. Um, but, you know, we're, we're looking at normalized earnings uh, for most companies 2022. Investors have no problems doing that. The, the, the reservations these guys just expressed are also the reasons why you want to own this company. They all talked about how this is such a, a world class brand and that they have to be cautious. I mean, when do you ring the bell and say it's time to get back into Disney when we know eventually these places are going to open and that studio is going to continue to crank out, you know, five to ten billion dollar plus movies every year that support their consumer products business. So um, if anything, you had a little concern around the balance sheet. Um, I, I think that I don't know why, if you're an investor, you don't find a company like Disney and say, this is that moment that I wanted to own it. Um, there's nothing that they're doing that's irresponsible. They're certainly not being any more irresponsible than uh, anyone else. And, and I, I ultimately have a ton of faith in the creativity and that brand and the ability to drive uh, that flywheel to all those different divisions. So I want to own Disney now. I don't need it to outperform tomorrow. Uh, I think you've had plenty of time to get clarity on what this means for Disney. And I I think we're slowly easing back in. Okay, we got some breaking news here out of Washington, D.C. Let's get to Elon Moy for that. Elon. Melissa, the U.S. is announcing new tariffs of 25% on French goods, but saying that those tariffs will not kick in for 180 days as the U.S. waits to see if and when France begins collecting on its digital services tax. Now, the U.S. has said that that digital services tax would hit tech giants like Apple, Facebook and Google. And it said that a 25 percent tax on French goods would be equal to the amount that it expects France to collect on those U.S. companies. That would be in the neighborhood of $450 million this year and $500 million next year. Some of the products that could be affected by these new tariffs would be makeups, soaps and handbags. But the U.S. saying that that is not a full list of items. Now, previously, the U.S. had uh, threatened even higher tariffs of 100 percent on products also including wine, champagne, etc. So this appears to be at least an opening salvo as they play a game of chicken with France here to see if France does make good on its promise to begin collecting that digital services tax. The U.S. again in retaliation now threatening a new 25 percent tax on French imports. Back over to you. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington. Dan, I'll go to you on, on this. Um, the EU, EU countries have targeted U.S. tech companies. Is this a good way of saying, you know what, no more? Well, I, I don't think so. We know that the EU is likely to lead in regulation of our tech companies. Um, this tax is just kind of one component of it. I think it's kind of interesting that our trade negotiators want to get um, pretty aggressive with France, obviously one of our closest allies at a time where it seems to be that we're back in a trade war with China, for all intents and purposes, that uh, the president tweeted out today or suggested somewhere that the phase two trade deal is not going to happen. I, I didn't even think there was a phase one trade deal to begin with. Um, but, you know, we're going to fight with everybody. We're going to fight with our friends. We're going to fight with our enemies. Tim? 
you know, if I just think about the, you know, the luxury goods sector and, and where France plays a role, obviously LVMH, Tiffany, um, Hermes scarves, all the things that Guy wears regularly when he gets out of his fast money costume. Um, I, I think this is a, this is a case where uh, you, you have to be a little bit concerned on the headline here. I think the ability to carry out uh, some of these and, 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 you know, bilateral leverage, et cetera. It's, it's, I, you know, I'm not particularly happy to see that this is the tactic we continue to play, uh, again, through tariffs and different type of, of trade sanctions. This is what this administration likes to do. Uh, and they haven't always been good for U.S. companies. But I think in the short run, this is actually a headline at, at a time that certain uh, segments of luxury, not all luxury, some of you know, some parts of luxury are totally impervious to this. But luxury should be coming under pressure. And at times we've seen that um, this headline's not one I want to buy tomorrow. Yeah, I know you're partial to a uh, to an Hermes silk scarf and a Longchamp bag. Always. I mean, who, who watching this show isn't? You know, and listen, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be as delicate as I possibly can. And, you know, no, uh, I'm not looking to cast aspersions to our French friends. But if the rhetoric between the U.S. and the China doesn't sell the market off, the, the rhetoric between the United States and France certainly won't either. So broader market, uh, I, I'm, I'm hard pressed to believe this has yeah. any impact whatsoever. Coming up, the race to $2 trillion. The chart master is with us. He'll break down which tech titan will get there first. And later in a bonus hour of Fast Money, we're taking your questions. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We just might answer you. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Nasdaq hitting another all-time high today as Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft each close in on a $2 trillion market cap. So who gets there first? Chartmaster is here to tell us. Carter, what do you say? Well, for starters, nobody knows. But uh, let's try. Uh, let's look at them as great athletes. Whom do we give the ball for this mission? Uh, let's go with just who's performing best. One of four charts. Take a look at the first one. It's a, a simple comparative chart. And what we have is a one-year performance. And you see, of course, Amazon versus Microsoft versus Apple. And Amazon is basically double the performance of Microsoft, which in turn is better than Apple. All right, how about five years? Uh, that's the first one. Second chart, 10 years. Look at Amazon versus Apple versus Microsoft. Here, too, you've got Amazon leading the way. Amazon is also, of course, up year to date more than the other two. Now, third, how about Amazon since its IPO? Of course, we know Apple and Microsoft have more price history, but if we looked at all three of them going back to 1997, you can't even see the other two lines. Uh, in fact, uh, and this is very humbling for all of us, uh, $10,000 invested in May of 1997 in Amazon is worth $32 million. So the final chart. Uh, this is the chart of Amazon, and uh, I've got several annotations here, so let's study it a bit. You see those flat lines, uh, three of them. Amazon has had three distinct periods where it traded sideways and then broke out. The first is the 07-09 period and then a big breakout. You see the second instance where it trades sideways from 2013 to 2015 and breaks out. And then, of course, this most recent instance where it was basically fallow from 2018 to 2020 and broke out. And after each breakout, you'll see there on the chart, uh, the percentage gain uh, from the 0709 breakout to 1315. That was a four-year move, up 315%. Then you get another four-year move. 
All you have to do, not that that's uh, such a small effort, but is advance 25% from here, and you can see where that's drawn. That would take you to around 4,000 a share, which would be the $2 trillion mark. So of these three, it's anybody's guess. It's a horse race. My guess, I'm betting on Amazon. So technically, Carter, the beginning of this new move higher started when? So we know how long it might last? Right. I mean, that's just it. If it were to be two and three years after a consolidation and a breakout, it can, you can three trillion, four trillion, you're as high as the imagination will allow. But what we know is this breakout is only underway in the past six months. Ah, okay. Carter, thank you. Uh, we'll see you later on Options Action. Uh, let's trade this one. Bonowin, do you like Amazon as much as Carter does? Uh, I think I like it a little bit more. Wow. Um, listen, uh, the, the, <laughs> there's an old adage that says, follow the cash. And to be honest, you can close your eyes and pick any, any three of these companies. $67 billion, $19 billion, $43 billion. That's the free cash flow spitoff of each of those businesses, respectively. So I don't think you can really go wrong. What I will say is that Amazon is still younger and emerging, and I think there's, there's still room for growth and innovation there, and that's why it's the winner for me. Guy? So they're all at like 1.6 trillion, give or take. So they're all right there. They're neck and neck as we hit the clubhouse turn, Mel, to do a horse racing theme. Mm. I'll go with Microsoft, though. And this is one I think we've been pretty steadfast on. You know, I know Azure growth slowed, but it's still ridiculous growth. Wedbush just raised their price target, I think, to 280. They report, I think, on July 22nd. I think out of the three of them, Microsoft's going to be the first to get there. Dan? Uh, yeah, I suspect it's Amazon, but not from this price right here. And I think it's important to go back and look when they reported their Q1 results back on April 30th. They had an operating income guidance from a loss of one and a half billion to a gain of one and a half billion. Um, that was far worse than expected. And I think an investors were disappointed. Stock sold off 7% the next day. It was trading at 2,400. Well, it's 3,200 today. I think a lot of good news is in the stock. I would expect the company to actually probably guide lower on the operating income again as they deal with this new set of demands dealing with the pandemic. So to me, I think Am uh, Amazon has an amazing future ahead of it. Mm -hmm. It just can't grow to the sky. It's up 15% or 16% this month alone already. Or maybe the context of a guide lower is different this time around because so many companies can't guide on anything. Tim. Yeah, I think I, I think that's fair. And the, this, by the way, this is one of the great would you rather rather's, whether we're going to label it that or not. I was so, waiting for somebody uh, to bring uh, that three up. Big horse. Well, you know, it it's usually has to be me. Um, and again, it was tonight. But um, I, I would agree that Amazon has the most uh, ability to, to, to really fight off any valuation challenge, because that's always been something that, uh, you know, and I've said it, it's been it's been a joke. It doesn't matter. Um, I think Amazon is probably the one uh, that that also because of the business units and because the ability to uh, to really almost be recreating how we're doing business in e-commerce. Uh, I like that. I think with Apple, uh, as much as I think Apple is probably the most secure uh, you know, owner uh, of, of all the three, I, I do worry that they pulled forward so much good news on 5G and, and on services in the short to medium term. But as an investor, mm. that's the one I would want to own. All right. Coming up, we're counting down to a huge week ahead for earnings. It's not just the banks. We'll break down the key names that need to be on your radar when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a huge lineup of names reporting results next week. A lot of banks, but there are also some consumer names in there. So what's the one stock that you need to be laser focused on heading into next week? Let's go around the horn here. Uh, Bonowin is going to kick us off. 
Uh, my eyes are squarely focused on J.P. Morgan. I think given its standing as a large commercial and investment bank, will really give us some insight, call it the 15,000-foot view or 30,000-foot view on the financial system and the consumer. And three things that I'm taking a look at. Uh, one are the loan loss provisions. I think that will speak to the health of the consumer. Two is the net interest margins. That will speak to the, the core uh, banking business. And three, I'm looking at trading and fee generation. That's going to speak to volatility and, um, and volume in trading and also uh, the ability for corporates to access capital markets. Tim, you're going a little Dow theory on us. Well, I think you have to. I mean, we've gotten enough out of the banks. So Kansas City Southern on Friday, uh, Pat Adamsmeyer was actually on the network about 10 days ago, giving also a little bit of an update. Uh, it said that volumes are up about 30 percent off the bottom, but still down 10 percent from pre-COVID. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I want to know what's going on with the rails. Uh, obviously, an infrastructure plan that was announced by the House also about 10 days ago is something that's interesting for rails. But uh, bottom line here is, is what they've expressed is that while they're slightly better in the second quarter than they had uh, earlier in the quarter given guidance on, uh, they're not terribly excited about COVID-19 and the impact of what it's not only doing uh, to the infrastructure and the overall demand on the economy, but what it's actually doing to their operational ability to do their jobs and, and actually within, uh, within their staff and their team, they're even talking about it. So um, I, I still think these are the names we need to find out more, getting in touch with the real economy. So Kansas City Southern on Friday, pay attention. Guy. So I'm looking at Wells Fargo. I'm staying with Bono and in the banks. Um, you know, it's interesting. Baird just upgraded the stock today, $35 price target a day after the news came out that uh, Wells Fargo is planning on uh, letting go tens of thousands of employees. I'm sure that twerked the 263,000 people that work there. But the one thing I'll be looking at on earnings on Tuesday is loan loss provision. It was $13.71 billion last quarter. That was up 413% year over year. It's going to be really interesting to see what they say this quarter. I think it gives you a good snapshot as to what's going on. The stock has bounced, had a good day today, um, and it probably bounces post-earnings like most of these banks. But any, to me, any rally in Wells Fargo is an opportunity to sell it again. Dan? Yeah, I'm going to stick with the down name. Johnson & Johnson reports on Thursday. This one's interesting to me. It's probably one of the first down names to make a new all-time high back in April from its prior high. Down 10% from there. Um, I think that this is a cheap stock with earnings only expected to be down 10% year-over-year, sales down 3%. I think you play this one for a breakout above the downtrend from that April high here into earnings next week. Quick final trades here, Tim. Disney, we talked about why this is a great brand. Stay with that. Bono in. Uh, climb up the capital structure and allocate some resources to LQD. Dan. Yeah, let's play Johnson & Johnson back up to that April high. Gee. See you in a half hour. Intel had a great day today. I think people are underestimating how cheap INTC is. Yep. Top of the hour. Bonus edition of Fast Money. We're taking your questions. In the meantime, do not go anywhere. Options Action's up next. Bonus Hour Fast Money starts right now. I'm Melissa Lee. Jim Cramer's off this week, but we here are answering all your questions about the stocks you're trading right now. That's right. We want to hear from you. So tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. With us tonight, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, and Dan Nathan. Coming up, we're headed to Vegas, baby, as the casinos make a big bet on reopening. Plus, one viewer asks if he should strike while it's hot for this cybersecurity name. 
But first, let's get a quick check on how we ended the week on Wall Street. Green arrows across the board, but tech, the standout winner, the Nasdaq, hitting fresh all-time highs, ending the week with a 4% gain. We are tackling your questions on the tech rally straight ahead. We kick things off, though, with the Trader Radar. Josh Lipton has a look at what you are buying and selling today. Josh. So, Melissa, let's start with what's popular on Robinhood, according to Robin Track. So that includes Spartan Energy Acquisition, NEO, which was popular not only today, by the way, but saw the biggest gain in popularity uh, for the week, Netflix, Amazon, and Microsoft. As for Spartan Energy, let's dig into some of these names. There's a report out there that it could do a SPAC, um, which would allow the IPO of Fisker, which has plans to make an electric vehicle. Our own Phil LeBeau noting it seems like everybody now wants a piece of this market, and Phil does say, tell me he wouldn't be surprised um, if this happens. Uh, then let's move on to Fitbit, another name to watch. Reuters did report this week that Google might just be able to avoid a full EU antitrust investigation into its bid for Fitbit if it promises not to use the data to target ads. Another one to watch, Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, reported earnings this week, sales dropped nearly 50%, but still has fans on the street. Raymond James reaffirming a strong buy on that name, says this should represent the low watermark, in their words, in sales and earnings. I'm going to end here with Netflix. That stock price could surge 30% over the next year. That's according to a new note from Goldman and is set, they say, to report a blowout second quarter. Melissa, back to you. All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton. So let's get straight to our first viewer question. Hi, my name is Fabiola and I live in California and I had a Netflix question for you. Um, this is my second time owning Netflix. I, earned it, I owned it early 2000s when it first came out and now I still have a huge uh, portion of it. But um, I was wondering if we should sell before the election. Thank you for your question, Fabiola. Guy Dami, what do you tell her? Well, thank you for your question, and I say stay with it. They reported earnings, I think, in April. The stock was 415. It was great numbers. The initial reaction was to sell the stock, and now 33% later, here we are. And now here we are with Goldman Sachs raising their price target today to $640. So I don't know what's going to happen uh, around November for the election, but I think into their next earnings release, Netflix is going to continue to rally, so I would stay with the name. I mean, implied in this question is that there perhaps is political risk surrounding big cap technology, Tim. There are, although I, I think Netflix is, is the least exposed. And, and so, Fabiola, you know, interesting question and more interesting that uh, you've, you've traded the stock around. You've owned it a couple times. And, and, I, and I tell you what, um, as someone that's been pretty negative on Netflix over the years, um, what's very clear to me is that some of these upgrades are coming uh, in a post-COVID environment. J.P. Morgan just upgraded uh, their outlook for 2Q subs. And I think we get, we get these numbers out in a couple weeks. Um, so you're going to get a sense of where uh, the momentum that Netflix, Netflix had coming out of COVID-19 or in the middle of COVID-19 or wherever we are uh, continues and the street is willing to upgrade. And so uh, ultimately uh, their, their cash burn, which is something that has always troubled me, uh, will be slightly less in 2020. Uh, but that's really just a function of the environment. I, I, I do think that uh, the competitive landscape is also the boat that takes uh, Netflix higher. And, and the, the demise of linear TV, Reed Hastings goes well out of his way to say, hey, you know, this is good for everybody. So anyway, I, I have been uh, not bullish on Netflix. At times, I, I was short through about 450 for 70 or $80 and said enough. I've been here before. Uh, and I think it's going higher. This is a new high, by the way, for Netflix in today's session. Dan? 
Yeah, I, I mean, it looked like a little bit of a panic buy here. I mean, it looks like there's kind of a rotation of panic buying. We saw it yesterday in Amazon. It, you know, the stock chart looked very similar to Netflix today. I'll say this, you know, um, prior to the COVID pandemic, um, Am or, excuse me, Netflix was struggling in North America to add new subscribers. And you couple that with all the competition that had been coming online and then the, the free cash flow loss from the content creation and acquisition and the stock was not lining up particularly good. And so what have they done here? They had a blowout Q1. They're going to have a blowout Q2. The cost to acquiring those subs was probably pretty low. They're going to anniversary that um, that uh, the price increase from 2019. So I get it. I get why the stock works right here. I wouldn't, like these two guys, be concerned about the election and regulation. I don't see them as having much exposure, but I do see them having a ton, ton of competition. So I would expect stocks like this. Guy mentioned that 425 level where it broke out. I would expect at some point you see these stocks settle back into those breakout levels and you'll have chances to buy these things again. All right, let's go to Twitter for the next question. Sachin writes, I would love to hear your thoughts on Amazon before earnings in the fourth week of July. Do you believe it continues to go up and hit new highs? What headwinds do we need to worry about? Thank you. Tim, what do you say? Well, Sachin, I, I do think that you know, one of the most remarkable things about Amazon over the last you know, two years or so is the lack of volatility on earnings. Um, this type of a move into earnings should be one that at least should have folks concerned. Uh, Dan and other options traders certainly could you know, put together a pretty good strategy for defining a risk. I, it's very difficult for me to see uh, the secular trends behind Amazon doing anything but getting better. Uh, the, the dynamics around profitability are key. I think you want to watch the AWS. Uh, we have seen a decline in growth. We have seen a decline in margin. And I do think that the cloud space is very, very competitive. And, and that growth is something that at, at least at one point was key to pushing Amazon higher. Apparently it's not. Um, but I think this trade is only as good as the liquidity in the market right now, because if that reverses, so will Amazon. I am sure that Sachin has uh, caught the five o'clock hour fast money in which uh, the chart master Carter Worth talked about Amazon as being the stock most likely to hit the two trillion dollar mark first out of the big cap technology hack guy. You said you like Microsoft, though. And, and I do like Microsoft. And as he knows, the Carter Worth sits at the top of the uh, Parthenon of great Pantheon. technicians. I'm sure he's very well aware of that. What was that? He says the top both, the Parthenon Pantheon. and the Pantheon. But, you know, we get the we Yeah, get well, your I, would, I would hope you could be Parthenon or Pantheon. Either. <laughs> that being said, you go back to last quarter. The month prior to the, their release in April, we had said around the desk, own Amazon into earnings. It will make a new high. Sell the stock right before they report. If you recall, the stock went... You know, from 21-something to 24.50 the day they reported. And seven trading days later, it was trading down to 22.40. I thought it was going to get down to 21.70, close enough for government work. But I'll say this. They report on the 23rd. I think you're going to see sort of a repeat. And the concerns that Tim has, I share margins and a potential slowdown in AWS. So it's been a monster for good reason. I would, I would ride it into earnings on the 23rd, but I'd absolutely take money off the table before they report. Why are you raising your hand, Tim? Why? Because that's what we do in this class. Um, uh, teacher, Melissa, could you ask Guy what close enough for government work means? Guy, what does that mean? 
Close enough for government work. You know, if you get within a couple percent, you say, yeah, it's fine. Let's move on to something else. <laughs> having never worked in the government, I don't know if that's necessarily true. But having read enough every books, other my sense in the world. is it is. Sounds like an insult yeah. to government Fair. workers. Uh, Dan, you're raising yeah, your hand. So. Your, your commentary here. All right. I got a couple things to say. Um, first things first, you know, that earnings report is going to be really interesting. Unlike Netflix that we just talked about, their ability to acquire customers without a whole heck of a lot of spend um, is really great for them. The situation that I would mention um, with Amazon is really important. When they reported their Q1 results, their operating income was worse than expected and their guidance was atrocious for operating income because of COVID-related costs. They have lots of touch points, right, that they're going to have to get lots of protocols on cleanliness and safety and all that sort of stuff, whether it be for their workers, their customers. We know that they're moving into uh, bricks and mortar. They own Whole Foods, that sort of thing. So I expect there's going to be costs associated. When they reported April 30th, the stock sold off 7% the next day. Okay, It was trading around $2,400. So here we are at $3,200. I think it's discounting an awful lot of good news. Again, I agree with Carter. I think this will be the first one to $2 trillion, but not from here. It's not going straight from here at 1.6 straight to 2. And I guess the last point I would mention is that uh, Tim mentioned the options market. Um, you know, Between now and earnings, it's only pricing about a 7.5% move for the next couple weeks. That seems pretty cheap if you think about the way the stock has been moving. It's up 16% already on the month. If you take half of the implied move, if you just take the out-the-money put or the out-the-money call, okay, you're like less than 4%. That seems like a good way to define your risk to answer my panelist Tim's question. All right. Uh, let's stick with tech. Here's the next question. Hi, this is Karthik Munyar calling from Houston, Texas. My question is, have I already missed the bus for the growth stocks? And if I have to get on one, whether it should be Microsoft, Apple or Tesla? Thank you. Microsoft, Apple or Tesla. So this is a would you rather rather. rather. Guy, what do you say? Clearly another fan of the show. <laughs> and he knows the answer to that question. Did he miss the bus? Yeah, you probably missed a few of the buses, but that doesn't mean there's not another bus that's going to come to the Greyhound station. And I think the one you want to get on, in my opinion, is the Microsoft bus. Uh, I don't think the valuation is ridiculous. Yes, I think Azure is probably slowing, but you still have tremendous growth there. And I think out of the three names that we talked about at 5 o'clock going to a, a $2 trillion first, I think uh, Microsoft is the one that gets there. Dan? Yeah, I think Microsoft, I think we have to start asking a different question here. And that question is, what stock is going to hurt me least when the market turns around? Because that's coming to a theater near you. Stocks like this can't just grow to the sky. They've gone parabolic. These are not like 10 billion dollar market cap companies. These are one and a half trillion dollar market cap companies that it seems the whole world is just piling into. So if the question that we get after a question after a question is like, have I missed the boat? How do I get in? How do I play it? You might want to start thinking about the other way is how much am I willing to lose and what sort of stop am I going to live by when I'm going to buy one of these momentum names? So what would you tell Kartik, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is going so, to hurt you the least, I, in your view? And what has the greatest risk reward? Microsoft is going to hurt you the least. Pointed answer. Tim? 
Uh, I tell you, I, you know, the would you rather rather certainly goes Apple, Microsoft, Tesla. I, I think Apple hurts you the least, um, although I, I can understand the answer in Microsoft. That has been the slow steady. It's probably the best chart over the last couple of years of any of the mega cap techs. Um, you know, Tesla, we spent a lot of time talking about. I, I, I think even relative to itself, this move is extraordinary. On, I'm not sure what the driver is. Uh, at least I've understood at different times around earnings, around deliveries, around something. Um, but this one is, is really just inspired by liquidity. And again, I would point out that the short interest um, is, is now probably under 7% uh, when it was a high of almost 25%. So some of this squeeze, I think, uh, is in the stock. But um, that's Definitely the one I think hurts you the most on the way down. All right, let's get to our spotlight trade. Hey, Fast Money. It's Kevin from Massachusetts here. I have an MGM Holdings right now, and I'm trying to decide if I should uh, sell it at a little bit of a loss or hold on to it for the long term. Think it might be able to help me out? Thanks for the question. That's quite a nice hat, Kevin. Before we answer it, let's bring in Contessa Brewer, who is following some big new developments on the casinos. Contessa. I'm pretty sure I have a hat like that in this closet right behind me. I could just step away and join the party. You know, that bar scene is pretty central to the Vegas experience, but the governor has now ordered bars to close in Nevada's biggest counties because of spiking coronavirus infections. And though casinos and restaurants can still serve alcohol, people will not be able to order from the bars. Restaurants will now have to seat parties of six or fewer people You know, the governor's point here is to keep people from congregating where they need to take their masks off. The governor is allowing pools to stay open, but sternly warned, you've got to wear a mask unless you're in the water or getting in and out of the water. Now, Red Rock Resorts, Boyd, El Dorado are reliant on the local business in Nevada. The Las Vegas Strip Giants, Wynn, Sands, Caesars, and MGM, they're depending on visitors driving in from California and other nearby states. Analysts here are watching to see what happens to that traffic if you close down bars. And, you know, Kevin asked about MGM. He's from Massachusetts. MGM Springfield reopens Monday. So keep a close eye on that, Mel. All right. Contessa, thank you. Go dig out that hat. Uh, Contessa Brewer here. Uh, What do we think about MGM? It sounds like absolutely no fun here in in. Vegas, if you're going to go to the pool and have to have a mask on at all times, unless you're in the water. I mean, I don't know, Tim. Yeah, you can have a couple iced teas, maybe a lemonade um, by the pool as well. Uh, like, I, I think you're a hold on casinos here. I think you're a hold because there's uh, not only a clear, unclear path towards, uh, you know, reopening and allowing the, the full functionality of the casinos and, and the recreation around it. Um, but I think there's still at some point a, a cash burn discussion to have. Remember, casinos, at least uh, at, at different times during disruptions and obviously out of the financial crisis, it was a balance sheet impairment issue. Um, I, I think there are some reasons for uh, MGM to feel uh, at least more diversified. They have also you know, an online betting business that's looking very interesting. Uh, some of the regional exposure is, is getting better. But if you look at Macau, gross gaming revenues were down 93% in June uh, and July, not looking a whole lot better yet. Dan? 
Yeah, I, I think they're a tough one here. I mean, I think that the uh, first wave of this virus is still raging across the country, and we're not even talking about what might be a second wave that maybe starts in the Northeast, which would impair travelers again. So I, I just don't see it, and it's a really sad state of affairs because we all want these businesses to get back opening, but it's a really tough thing. And Tim just mentioned the balance sheet impairment. I mean, when this stock, MGM in particular, was trading near its lows a couple months ago, you're looking at this equity and saying, what do I own here? Um, you know, so it's come back here. I, I'm not saying that I, I think you should sell it here. But again, this is going to be one of the trickiest trades in all the hospitality. Just like we were talking about Disney in the prior hour, there's lots and lots of risk from a brand standpoint to have an outbreak at your casino in Vegas or in Boston. I mean, the visual of those masks by the pool, it's like a bad Tom Cruise movie that I won't name, but I think uh, many of the people get my gist. In terms of the stock, I mean, it went from 590 to 24, pretty much in a straight line. Now here we are at 16. I think now's the, now's the prove me level. I actually think you can own this stock. Your, your bogey is $15 a close below there. I'd get really concerned. But I think the stock has discounted some really awful news and earnings at the end of the month. So I think at this point, you've got to stay with the name. Can you imagine the tan lines you'll get from wearing a mask at the pool? I mean, I don't know how you cover that up. Uh, we're just getting started here on Total Request Fast Money. Up next, a deep dive into the stay-at-home trade. We answer a couple of questions on some of the biggest movers in that space. And keep those questions coming. Tweet us at CNBC Fast Money. We just might answer you on the air. Stay with us. Welcome back to Total Request Fast Money, where we're taking your questions. Next up, the stay-at-home trade. Hey, Fast Money. This is Joe from Miami. And the stock I want your opinion on today is Etsy. Now, I know Etsy falls into that stay-at-home, work-from-home trade, and it seemed like in the market there was like a rotation going on from the stay-at-home stocks to the reopen trade. And Guy, I know you use the Windicator. Uh, well, I have my own metric, and that's the Zoom meter. And today, Zoom was up. So I'm not really buying this reopen trade. What do you traders think? It's a multifaceted question, Guy. Wow. It's incredible. He, I mean, another Fast Money fan, as he, he is aware of the Windicator. I got to tell you something. I wish I created the Windicator, but that was our crack staff back in EC. The Fast Money crew is tremendous. It's their, it's their uh, child, not mine. With that said, Wall Street Journal just had a very positive article on Etsy, despite the move from 31 to current levels, saying, you know, this whole face mask thing is really giving them tailwinds. Uh, the valuation is ridiculous. I think you can stay with it into earnings, but they report at the end of the month. I think July 30th, that's one where you got to take profits ahead of earnings, understanding it still could ratchet higher. The prudent thing, the pragmatic thing to do is to take money off the table in earnings that day. All right. And, and embedded in that question is a question on Zoom. I mean, that's why I said multi, multi-layered. There was an ask about Etsy, Dan, but then also about Zoom. Um, so where do you go? You know, Zoom's really interesting. Uh, you know, the stock is up 300% on the year. It's got nearly an $80 billion market cap. It's trading about 43 times sales. And that sounds crazy, except that this is obviously one of the single best companies, you know, positioned for this kind of work from home, school from home sort of environment. So I think the fact that it doesn't sell off tells you that people think that people are going to continue to work from home for the time being, at least until there's more detailed therapies or um, a better visibility on vaccines, and that, that schools are going to start adopting this. And then the real question comes, 
that maybe they pulled forward a lot of demand in the last few months, but when did they start charging for a lot of these free users? When does the school stuff come online in a big, big way? Uh, I'm not telling you to buy it here. I'm not telling you to sell it here. This is a stock that you probably want to continue to own, uh, but understand that you're probably going to have opportunities to buy it lower, um, especially if we get news on therapies and vaccines. That could be the thing that sends the stock down very quickly. I, I, I just I think about the the winners of COVID-19 and stay at home and, you know, all those trades that, that are the new normal trade. Sorry for all these cliches, but they are what they are. Um, but Zoom is is has to be the number one. And when you think about the competitive landscape around uh, what what Facebook is doing, Microsoft Teams, Google, um, there's, you know, the, the biggest, baddest tech companies in the world uh, are, are coming after Zoom and coming after them hard. It's hard to see uh, how this offering is going to continue, even though I think uh, the Zoom offering is, is fantastic. And, and on some some level, they were well out in front of everybody else. I don't think they're going to hold it. Um, you know, back to Etsy, I, I don't know how many sock puppets, uh, guys sock puppets, they, they actually sold in, in May. But um, some of those marketplace numbers are extraordinary. And, and this, this is exactly, again, a, a stock that gets a, a driver from this kind of environment that I actually think you stay with that um, because I, I, I think these trends continue. I don't know if people remember that sock puppet. It's a it's a hand knit sock puppet in the likeness of was, Guy Adami that was acquired a couple of years yeah. ago, um, and it is now being held by the former executive producer of Fast Money, Lisa Villalobos, who's now the EP of Closing <laughs> Bell. She insisted on keeping it for what I don't Invaluable. know, Guy. Um, I don't know if you bought a replacement recently. There's there's no accounting for taste number one, <laughs> and I like the, what what happens when what is this called like tearing down the fourth wall or something when we allow the audience into these things? I think it's fascinating, isn't? It? I mean, I think it's wonderful. And you just mentioned something quick. I know we're yeah. light on time, but I just want to say your work this week hosting a myriad of shows over the <laughs> entire day. It's reminiscent of, and I know you know this, Mel, but Bert Campaneris in September of 1965 playing all Can't nine be. positions, including pitching with both hands in one game. So, Mel, you are, yes, exactly, you are our champion this week. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm blushing. All right, let's take a tweet. Jason Hutton asks, thoughts on Slack going higher from here, or is Microsoft too much competition? Thoughts on takeout possibilities? Dan. Uh, that's a really good one here. So, you know, we just talked about Zoom as a company that's well positioned for this work from home. What I think is really interesting about Slack is that they were building a company for the last seven or eight years since its inception that was actually re-envisioning how work was going to be done. So the COVID situation just accelerates that a great deal. I find this to be a very interesting company. A few weeks ago, they announced um, a product called Slack Connect, which basically lets you do channels across different businesses. Okay, a secure, you know, secure channels across different businesses outside of your business. And Stuart Butterfield, the CEO of the company, when he rolled it out, I think he was on CNBC talking about this. He sees this as a huge, huge opportunity. So, you know, a lot of people talk about that competition with Microsoft. This product is very different than what Microsoft Teams has to offer. I think this is a great opportunity to buy Slack in the early, uh, in the low 30s. You know, trading at half the multiple of sales that Zoom is. And then the last point, takeout, really interesting. 
interesting question. Who wants to compete with Microsoft as far as teams or who as far as big behemoths? That's Google. I see Google buying these guys, possibly making it so nice that Stuart Butterfield, the CEO, founder of Slack, takes over collaboration tools for Google and really takes on Microsoft in this space. So that's something I could totally see happening. $19 billion enterprise value seems way too cheap for this asset. All right. Coming up. Gilead seems to have put its rally on pause over the last few months, but will some big news out today give it a boost? Plus, semiconductor stocks taking a bit of a breather, but is one of these names ready to run? And as we head to break, take a look at the stocks that led the Nasdaq to a record high. We're back in two. Stay with us. Welcome back to Total Request Fast Money, where we have been answering your questions all hour. Chris Kidder tweets us. With the recent positive news about Gilead's remdesivir, is it worth a trade? Now, remember, new data out today saying the coronavirus treatment appears to reduce the risk of death in severely sick patients. The news giving a 2% pop to Gilead shares. Guy, what would you say about Gilead? Well, if you remember, and thanks for the question, back in April, I think it was, when you first started hearing about remdesivir in terms of what it was doing in COVID, the stock traded up to, I think, 84 and a half, 85 only to subsequently trade back to the low 70s. Now you're getting headlines again, and now it's a $76 stock. Again, there's nothing wrong with Gilead. It's a fine company, but the stock has been going sideways on what's been a really good tape. And obviously you had a bounce today on what should have been really good news for the stock. I just don't think it's doing all that much for you right now in terms of the stock performance. I think there are better places to be in biotech, and I would point out Sarepta and Amgen is too. Tim? Yeah, I, I tell you, it, in fact, if anything, remdesivir has been a, kind of a headwind uh, outside of some, some pops on the headlines, uh, which now are yeah, two and a half to three months ago. So um, I, I think, you know, the Gilead story, which pre-COVID-19 was, was about figuring out what to, what to do beyond the pipeline uh, and beyond the existing HIV and HCV drugs, which have been, you know, largely uh, their own success, which is obviously what society wants, has been uh, to the demise of Gilead. But a great balance sheet and I think a great management team. I, it's certainly a stock I can own here. I'm not owning it for uh, remdesivir. And in fact, we're, we're trying to understand really what the, what the costs. I know that sounds crazy to the company could be, but we still don't know where it's ultimately priced. And obviously, we're still waiting for uh, really the, the, the final use case. All right, let's get to our next question. Hi, it's Ryan from Massachusetts. Uh, first time submitting, long time listener. Um, just had a question on AMD. Uh, I've been holding since uh, low 40s. Um, I'm just wondering if I should uh, pick up some more shares now. It looks like it's about a breakout of its uh, cup and handle here. Um, I'd love to know your thoughts. Appreciate it. Also wearing a nice hat. Uh, Dan Nathan, what do you say? Yeah, I, I like his take. You know, the question is, should I buy more? And I would say I can't tell you that you should buy more, but I think you're well positioned here. You obviously have a great entry. If you look at that chart, like to your point, the stock has been rejected on numerous occasions in the high 50s. But if you just look around the semi space, look at Taiwan Semi just broke out, went straight up about 10%. I think AMD with decent results also probably breaks out to new all-time highs. And I also just take you back a couple of weeks to Micron when they reported um, the stock put up a good number. The stock gapped up 8%. The CEO was talking about really good demand 
demand for memory for data center, uh, Internet of Things, that obviously related to 5G rollouts later this year. You know, that's all really good for the semis. So to me, I like AMD here. I think Micron, you could play from 50, maybe back to the prior highs um, near 60. I know that Guy likes the Intel. I'll let him speak on that. Um, but, you know, the semis set up okay here. It, clearly on valuation, they do. You like the Intel the best, Guy? I do like the Intel. I love the fact that what's it? Seriously, you mentioned it. Uh, what's the deal with that? Is it like some? Is it a requisite that you know, or prerequisite as it stands to wear a hat on this hour? I mean, is this something that the Jim Cramer <laughs> audience typically does? Is, maybe I, they I maybe know. they can answer our questions next week. Huh? That's what we should do. We should call <laughs> on the Jim Show next week and have him answer our questions. And we should wear hats. With, with that said. I, <laughs> I agree. AMD, so it's interesting. If you remember, they reported, last time they reported, it was a $54 stock. I think it traded down to 50 And we said, look, Lisa Sue's going to be on one of the morning shows. I think it was Squawk Box. You buy the stock on the sell-off below 50 That was right. Obviously, you had a miserable day today. 59 is your line in the sand. I, too, think it's going to break out to the upside through that 59 level. So although I do like Intel, I like AMD as well. By the way, longtime listener, like these questions are incredible. He start, he's throwing a cuff and handle at us. I mean, this is this is good stuff. So on AMD, I, I, this was the stock that that almost, you know, it took a crisis to derail uh, one of the great charts out there and obviously taking market share, uh, you know, moving heavily into enterprise. But I do think this is a story uh, that valuation looks somewhat rich at this point. So I, I would stay on the sidelines. Coming up, check out shares of Restoration Hardware trading near all-time highs. You want to know where it goes from here, so we will tell you. And later, should you go on the defense with one big defense stock? We'll get the panel's take on General Dynamics. The special edition of Fast Money is back in two. Welcome to this uh, special edition of Fast Money. Your traders are diving into some of your most pressing questions. Here's the next one. My name is Steve. I'm calling you from Seattle. Calling about Restoration Hardware, symbol RH. I started buying at 79, all the way up to 154. We're trading at 34 times earnings, and it's now at 260 a share. I want to know if I should buy more, hold what I have, or sell it. Thank you. I'll go to Tim on this. Um, You've traded the stock before, and I think you got your furry pillow probably from there as well. (laughs) Yeah, look, if it's not obvious, there's some there's some RH around me. Um, and, and I do think that this is one of those companies that has been benefiting uh, dramatically, not only because people are sprucing up around them, um, including a, fur, a furry pillow or just, a, you know, I'll save the joke about animals. Um, and then you have a case where uh, I think their digital business already was a big part of margin and, and where these guys, uh, along with their loyalty programs, have been re-rating for the last year and a half. Um, so the question is, is it expensive? And, at, you know, 32 times trailing, um, I don't think it's expensive. Uh, I do think that the multiple deserves premium based upon the positioning. Uh, and then gross margin and whatnot, they've overcome some inventory issues. So I'd stay long. Yeah, Mel, I agree. And, and you know, restoration hardware, I walk into that place, I feel poor. It's, it's remarkable <laughs> what it does to you. But I'll say this, you know, we've been pretty steadfast on this name. And despite the fact that it's trading probably close to 35 times next year, they probably have 23% earnings growth, and their operating margins last quarter, the street thought they'd come in at 7%, they came in at 10%. So they're absolutely running this business more efficiently. So what I would look for maybe is what we call in the business a back and fill to the previous all-time high made in February of 250. But I think this is a name you can absolutely stay with. 
Dan? Yeah, you know, I'm less optimistic than these guys. I understand that the lack of visibility and the weird dynamics of the work from home and the lockdowns and everything like that, and then these companies, especially in retail, that had good direct-to-consumer strategies already in place that really benefited. I just think the back half of the year, with more than 30 million Americans unemployed right now, with a lot of benefits running out, I get the price point for um, restoration hardware. Maybe that's not as big of an issue. I just think it's going to be a much tougher slog. We're starting to see layoffs in in white-collar jobs not related to the hospitality industry. So to me, I think you know the stock market is screaming euphoria. I think a lot of the economic data is saying cautious in the back half of the year, given how little we know about the path of the virus, the road to vaccines, and what sort of stimulus we're going to get going forward. All right. Coming up, we are diving into the world of cybersecurity, why the battle over TikTok could be a game changer for the space. And we still got time to take some questions. So tell us what names are high on your radar by tweeting us at CNBC Fast Money. As we had to break, take a look at the hottest stocks on Robinhood this week. We're back right after this. Welcome back to the special edition of Total Request Fast Money. Cybersecurity is on everyone's minds these days, including our next viewers. What's going on, Fast Money team? This is Jacob from Georgia. Uh, First of all, thank you guys for providing such great insight every day. Um, And shout out to my dad for teaching me almost everything I know about investing. My question is concerning the company's CyberArk and CrowdStrike. I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on those stocks. Um, considering the news about China and TikTok, um, possibly facing a ban in the U.S., and also being an election year in 2020, it seems to me that cybersecurity is a great play right now. Thanks. Thank you, Jacob. And before we get some answers from our panel, let's dive deeper into the cybersecurity space. Brent Thill is a software and Internet analyst at Jefferies. Brent, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. I want to get straight to Jacob's questions. I guess there are a couple of elements to it. First of all, uh, TikTok. There's this notion that there were some security flaws in TikTok, which allowed TikTok potentially to look at what what was on people's clipboards uh, when they were using the app. And I'm wondering if, if that at all impacts the space. I don't think so. I think there's a bigger driving force, which is move the cloud. Everyone is putting their data in, in the commercial cloud. And we continue to believe that's a big tailwind for the cyberspace. Uh, we continue to like CrowdStrike fundamentally, but we do believe on uh, short term at 25 times revenue, it's, it's pretty richly valued. So we favor Palo Alto Networks and Veronis. And I think it's the most important in cyber is you can't own one name. You have to own a basket of cyber names because one cybersecurity company cannot address what's going on in, in this broader environment. So in terms of the biggest force in this environment, in terms of the biggest need, Brett, what do you think that would be? I mean, would it be security surrounding cloud? I I think, you know, there's a couple elements. So the the question on CrowdStrike is really on the the endpoints. So all the endpoints that are running around PCs, phones, all these endpoints, CrowdStrike's having a great uh, defense mechanism protecting the end user on, on that side. So that is... Fantastic. Another company we like is Veronis, VRNS, which provides the inside of uh, protection for a company. We continue to like that. Palo Alto Networks is a perimeter defense uh, story. Um, and I think the challenge right now, even Splunk uh, has a security uh, platform. So I think that the challenge right now is that cyber is a very difficult one to nail down. You have to own the whole basket. Even Microsoft has jumped in. They were the Rodney Dangerfield of, of security five years ago, and they're really 
uh, being taken serious, even with Google's move with, with the G Suite and, and, and Gmail, and there have been very few hacks against uh, the G Suite. And so we think even Google's done a better job here, too. So, again, I think that the cyber landscape is very complex. And, and the way to invest is you've got to own a basket of, of these names. You can't own just one. There is no Amazon of the cyber world. Yeah, Brent, I agree, and thanks for sticking around with us tonight. You know, Palo Alto Networks is fascinating. You wouldn't think it'd be as volatile a stock as it is, but you've seen some ridiculous moves over the last two years, both to the upside and the downside. Here we are at 250 again, a level that it's had trouble with. Literally, this is the third time. Is this now where these, I'm not asking to play stock market, but it certainly feels like it's about to take the next step higher. I agree. We have a $275 price target. We do think it, it does. Um, they've, they've had some bumps along the road, you know, new management team, execution issues. We think they're getting through that. And we, we, we believe, again, at five times revenue versus CrowdStrike, at 25 times revenue, that there's inherent value when you look at uh, some of the these, these software multiples that have been elevated, uh, that they're getting their act together. It, it's really been about an execution, not the technology. So all the checks around with, with chief security officers say very good things about Palo's uh, actual product. It's really been execution. And so uh, we believe uh, that they're getting that execution fixed. They had a great quarter last quarter, and we believe they set the bar low enough for the current quarter to, to hit. So we think the stock's going higher. Brent, thanks for your analysis. Appreciate it. Brent Phil of Jefferies. Dan, where do you go in cyber? You know, I suspect that this is going to be an area where we see some M&A, um, especially as things kind of settle down a little bit. I know that a couple of weeks ago, Salesforce.com just invested in a funding round in a company called Tanium, um, which has had, um, you know, obviously been in tremendous demand, um, as you've seen this tremendous uh, work from home sort of thing. So I, I think you could see companies like Cisco, which always makes acquisitions in this space, maybe a Salesforce, maybe a Google, um, Cisco, uh, you know, Cisco again. I, I just think that you're going to see um, a lot of M&A probably in the next year or so in this space. Tim? I, I like CrowdStrike, and, and I just I, I think of them in the evolution of workplace protection. They, they're providing uh, a holistic solution uh, to some of the top companies in the world. So uh, I know that there's a lot of other solutions, and there seems to be a hodgepodge of, of, of collections. But you know, when you think about cybersecurity, there has to be uh, one entire process that governs uh, the entire enterprise. And, and, and I think CrowdStrike has proven that they're doing that. I think they're working with some of the biggest companies in the world. I get that the valuation is difficult. Um, but if you looked at those fiscal Q1 numbers, their subscriptions rose, their subscriptions rose over 100 105% or so. Uh, and, and billings ultimately are, are keeping pace with that. Uh, margins are very interesting. And at scale, this company becomes more and more profitable. All right. Up next, a defense stock that has been an underperformer in the sector in recent years. Hello, Fast Money. My name is JC, calling from Virginia, and the question I got for you guys today is about General Dynamics. Even with the recent acquisition of three new contracts from the DOD, the stock seems to be underperforming for the past 90 days. So the question I have is, number one, is it because of their aerospace division? And number two, will I see this stock go up again in the near future? Thank you. Guy, would you tell JC on GD? <laughs> Love JC, my man. So listen, this is what I'll tell you. Go back and look at all the defense stocks in 2007 as we went towards the election, and it became more and more clear that Barack Obama was going to be the next president. Those stocks languished. And what I said then and what I see now is 
uh, Gandhi could be elected president of the United States and defense spending will continue to go higher. So you have to watch the polls. I think the fact that these stocks have underperformed is, is in large part due to the fact that Joe Biden is doing so well on the polls. But I think you're going to get a shot as we get closer to the election. That's when you have to buy these stocks again. So I think you have to hold still, wait. But as we get closer to sort of September, October, that's when you get back into these names. It happened in 08. I think it's going to happen again now. Dan? Yeah, I mean, a stock like GD has been essentially cut in half over the last couple of years, and there's no reason to believe that defense spending um, is ever going to decrease no matter who is in the White House. So this is a really cheap stock. I also mentioned the fact that, you know, we talk about valuations. It doesn't really seem to matter in growth companies right now, but there's a lot of really cheap industrial stocks. I know this is probably more Karen and Tim's, um, you know, kind of ballywick, um, but these are cheap stocks. And at some point, if this rally starts to broaden out, if the S&P 500 actually does get to its prior highs and then makes new highs, they're going to come for everything. And then some of these cheap value plays could be um, good opportunities to kind of play a little catch up. Industrials have been painful. Um, you guys all hit it. These defense stocks are really cheap. I actually have been buying some, some defense stocks. I was buying Raytheon until they spin out RT, uh, Otis and, and Carrier. Um, I like General Dynamics, especially on a function of the discount to their free cash flow. In other words, this is trading at about a 10% free cash flow yield, which is very high for this stock. Um, they also have a, a personal or a business jet business that, that may, in fact, um, recover significantly faster and, in fact, may actually be one of these industries that does very well uh, in a post-COVID because people are not flying commercial. So uh, I, I think these other guys are bullish. I'm certainly bullish on GD here. I think you play this one uh, certainly short to medium, but also very much long term. All right. We still got some more time in this hour. And again, we're getting a little personal, personal questions coming up next. Keep it here. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Total Request Fast Money. This next one is about a stock that's on a tear up nearly 70 percent this year. Hey, Fast Money. Pete from Boston here. I've got a question you can really sink your canines into. I love an underdog story, and on Chewy's latest earning call, they said that pet adoptions have spiked 60% since the pandemic began, putting their stock near an all-time high. Am I going to end up in the doghouse if I don't sell now? Thanks. Speaking of dogs, <laughs> we got to go to Guy. <laughs> There's a dog behind you photobombing. So got... <laughs> yeah, no, that's Flip back yeah. there. That's our 18-month-old black guy. I don't know if you can you see Russell here. Russ is with me. Mm-hmm. Rocky didn't want to join, so... I'm glad you asked that question. So usually Jim is obviously at this time. He had the CEO of Chewy on, I think, on June 10th. And it it was fascinating. He mentioned exactly what our viewer just mentioned. He also mentioned the fact that they've they've they have local artists that are doing drawings of people's pets. I mean, of all the things I find to be bullish about a stock, that ain't it. Stocks had a huge run. I don't see there's so many there's there are no barriers of entry necessarily. I'd be taking money off the table, despite what flipping behind me and the Russell here says. Who is that? (laughs) That wasn't me. All right. (laughs) Let's get one more in. This one is from Bray, and it's a question directed to Tim. Bray asks, is it time to shift some money from Fang to K-Web? So the implication U.S. tech to Chinese tech. Yeah. Is it Bray or Vray? Vray with a V. Vray. Okay, Vray. 
Um, look, I, I think you, you nailed it. I think that the move into Chinese uh, internet and kind of e-commerce names is such an extraordinary move, uh, both now and I think for the next four or five years. But if you look, the top of the leaderboard, the top weightings in that ETF are Alibaba and Tencent. But uh, then, then you have a couple life services companies. You have uh, Tal Education, which you, we mentioned last night. You, you, you've got very good exposure to the, the e-commerce world in the biggest country in the world, effectively. Uh-huh. And certainly where we're seeing consumption trends really accelerate, uh, flip, hold it down over there. Um, so we have, a, you know, to me, the move into Chinese Internet names always looks and becomes frothy. Um, this may be one of those frothy moments, but the trends here are very much medium term, if not long term. You know, it's really interesting. The K-Web, obviously, we know the names. They're just the behemoths over there in China, um, you know, similar to kind of the mega trade here in the U.S. as far as mega cap tech. Um, you know, earlier in the week, I know that Chris Verone was on the show talking about the breakout in Alibaba. Tim, I know you've been long this thing. I mean, that thing, the breakout, just from a purely technical standpoint, is just a work of art here. So I guess when I'm thinking about trading some of these names, if you get Alibaba back to that breakout level near 235, that's where you reload. I just think on a relative basis, um, you know, the valuations are probably a bit more attractive. And then I guess the other point is, is that, you know, their authoritarian regime might be dealing with the spread of this virus a little better than ours. And therefore, they may get back to the pre-COVID levels quicker than ours, which means that you want to be in the K-Web. All right, let's wind down this edition of Total Request Fast Money with a game. We love games around here, right? This one is suggested by our own Mike Santoli via Twitter. He writes, I request Uh him and Guy in a name that one hit wonder band of the 70s duel. You ask Mike Santoli (laughs) and we we shall give here. All right, here's how this is going to go down. Your mics are open here. We'll play a quick bit of the song when the music ends. The first to answer with the band name wins. Got it? All right. Okay. Got it. Let's hit it. Cars, Gary Newman. Cars, Gary Newman. Gary. I raised my hand. You can't know. You have your mics you. are open. Your mics are open, not mics for your hand open. to be raised. Uh, wasn't even close. All right, well, give me another close. chance. Let's, Gary, let's Newman with, Gary Newman with a U, by the with way. Two, two U's. Two U's, right. yeah. Let's, that, was a, that was a practice. Afternoon Delight, Starland Afternoon Vocal Delight. Band. Starland, <laughs> we both got that. All right, it's I mine. got that. I said the band. I said the group name. Last one. I said the same Last thing. Last one. Two nil. Roller coaster. The OJ's. One more time. Play it. I get a free. I get a free run. Oh, Mr. B- Mr. Big Shot or something. That's awful. Gene yeah. Knight. I don't know. Gene Knight, Mr. Big Stuff. I don't know. I think you guys tied right, on I, that. I, we'll have to do that again sometime. We, that we was didn't tie. <laughs> we didn't tie. I got, I got them both. It was not even a tie. It wasn't Let's even close to a tie. All right. That does it for us. Thanks for watching. Guy, Tim, Dan, have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us. Undercover Boss is up next. 